You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, thanks for joining us for Worshipology. Again, I'm so grateful that you would spend this time uh, growing in your life of worship, your heart of worship. And uh, today I'm excited because every now and then you get to have a conversation with someone who has been leading worship in the trenches as a worship pastor for so long, you just know they've got some gold to share. And so today, excited to be talking with Pastor Len Burdick. He is out in Winchester, Virginia. Pastor Len, say hey, man. Hey, man, how you doing from Winchester, Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it is so good. Now, we, we met probably, what, four or five years ago at a district event. Is that right? Yes, we were, uh, I believe it was kind of what it used to be the, well, became before it became the lead conference, it was district council. And it was, I believe, at Trinity uh, Life in Lutherville, Maryland. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually just there about a month ago and your name came up and I was like, man, I got to get Len on the phone. And what was amazing is a couple of weeks ago, I actually got to come out to uh, Victory Church there in Winchester and and lead worship. And you guys usually do, you know, huge choir. It's it's a pretty big uh, sanctuary. And that morning it was just me on an acoustic guitar. So I felt a little, I felt a little naked there, Pastor Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a scaled down version of what you guys typically do there. But sure, sure. man, just, just for our listeners, why don't you just kind of tell us like a little bit of your story, how you got involved in leading worship and, and how you, I saw your, you, you've got a doctorate, you've been, you, you've studied worship, you've led it for so long, mm-hmm. man, I cannot wait to hear, uh, just some words of wisdom, but how did you get started in leading worship? Well, in general, I grew up loving all kinds of music. Uh, there were, there were nine kids in my family. So wow. all, all of us played a different instrument. It was so cool. Um, we had piano, guitar, trombone, trumpet, tuba, sax. Uh, oh they were, it was all represented there in all wow. nine. And uh, we all attended uh, an Assembly of God church in upstate New York. And, you know, even as a young boy, I was, I was drawn to the hymns and choruses we sang in the congregation. And, of course, back then it was pretty much uh, piano and organ. Uh, mm-hmm. Three three hymns in a chorus, and you know you turn it over <laughs> to the pastor. You know, uh, you know Sunday nights would be testimony time. You'd start out with a couple songs, and then you'd take turns. People would do testimonies. They'd break in with a song. You know, yada yada. Wow. Um, we uh, we even sang hymns in children's church as well as kids songs. So, uh, oh, okay. It, it was really uh, very hymn driven back then, with you know song you know, like choruses kind of thrown in here and there. Um, I started playing drums in the fourth grade. Uh, I got my first kit when I was about 10. And, and from that point on, I had a dream of you know, being a commercial and session drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was all drums through grade school, middle school, high school, uh, marching band, concert band, jazz band. Never uh, really thought much about singing. Um, but when I was a junior, I was about 16 years old, and I remember uh, I was in a Sunday night service at my home church up in Carthage, New York, and my pastor was speaking, and all of a sudden he just stopped, and he said, we just need to praise the Lord right now. I mean, it was just out of the blue. Hmm. He kind of stopped his message, and um, and then I just sensed a prompting from the Holy Spirit to just 
you know, simply lift my hands and start praising God with my voice, you know, just simple mm. things, you know, praise you, Jesus. I love you, Lord, you know, just uh, the ABCs kind of, you know, starting out. And and my pastor noticed this from, from the pulpit and he said, you know, I see some teenagers in the back of the room getting a hold of this. He mm. said, don't stop, don't stop, whatever you do, don't stop. And so, that night, you know, I like to say that I officially, quote unquote, you know, became a worshiper uh, that day wow. because the Holy Spirit completely changed my life, my trajectory, uh, the way I looked at things. And I realized that personal worship, even in the context of congregational worship, uh, was the direct path into God's presence. Mm. Um, so it was really cool. You know, wow. it wasn't it wasn't this, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know, this hallelujah, you know, the heavens part kind of moment. Light bulb going off, yeah. everything stops, you know. No, it, well, but, well, what's interesting, I want to stop you there because you said something that I don't think we've talked about before on this podcast, and it's this, that even in the context of a corporate worship service, you can have a personal uh, worship service right there in the seat. And mm -hmm. I think it's so powerful because, you know, especially in the conversations happening these days, Lynn, you hear a lot of like, well, you know, we need to have more personal times with Jesus. And you can't really do that in a mega church or a huge church environment because there's just so much going on and there's the lights and this and that. And it's so distracting. But mm -hmm. I think you may agree with this is that, man, God can move anytime, anywhere and any, you know, direction that he desires. And why wouldn't he want to re reach people in that personal way, even in the context of a larger worship service? And it sounds like mm -hmm. that's what happened to you to change the trajectory of your life. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, wow. You know, it was what was amazing. What I learned from that as well is, you know, even though I'm worshiping pers personally, uh, you know, this is we are the body of Christ. And if we all, you know, we're the collective bride of Christ. And if we mm. all... Uh, worship personally, you know, uh, in in gang fashion, you know, for, for mm -hmm. lack of a better term. I mean, God God's able to pick out each and every uh, individual uh, personal worship expression, and wow. uh, it just you know it just collides beautifully into this into this huge, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just just this huge collective. A worship experience that really, really lifts up the Lord. You know, I was reading earlier in First uh, Peter chapter two, and it talks about us. You know, obviously, verse nine is a big one. It talks about us as a royal priesthood, a chosen yes. generation. But if you back up a couple verses, verses four and five, it talks about us as living stones being built into a spiritual house. You bet. And you and bet. what's so cool is that I think when we come together to worship God corporately, it's this stone and that stone and that stone all coming together. And what do stones make when they are put together? It's an mm -hmm. altar. It is. It's an and, altar. And I just, I don't know. I've been living and chewing on that for the last week or so. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, talk about that for a little bit, Len. I mean, you've led worship in so many different contexts, I'm sure. Um, you know, so kind of having this moment as a teenager, where did that lead to next? And how did that step you into leading congregational worship? What did that look like? Well, the funny thing was... Um, you know, I had that moment, of course, but I really didn't discover my voice, uh, my singing voice, especially until my senior year. And I joined uh, 
I joined the chorus in the high school. I found myself uh, playing these big roles in the dinner theater and the spring musical. And nice. Well, and so once I started singing, I couldn't stop. You know, it wasn't that I thought <laughs> I had this fantastic voice. I just I just realized that that's what I was born to do was to mm. was to sing. And then and then it was the Holy Spirit that just uh, led me into. Uh, the idea of using my voice to to worship, and so yeah, I started doing specials. Of course, you know they called them specials back then uh, when you just <laughs> did a special number. I you know. remember those days you know, when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, time for your special, you know. And so um, I went to college. I got involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I hooked up with an Assemblies Church right there in uh, Fredonia, New York, and uh, back then. I found uh, one of the few believers on campus. Uh, we became roommates, and he led worship uh, for a while. And then when he left, uh, he went to uh, Christian college. He passed the baton to me. And so I started leading worship. I did it Sunday morning, Sunday night for three full years, you know, when I wow. was in college. I mean, I mean, we're not talking, you know, Sunday night, you know, you come in, you sing a chorus, and then, and then you know, you pray, and then you leave. <laughs> I mean, these were full-blown worship services and yeah. full-blown uh, uh, sermons and everything. And so what a great experience. I mean, I really cut my teeth uh, doing that for three full years, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Um, I came home, uh, the same home pastor that I had in high school, he made me his assistant. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Curtis, what did I have? What business did I have, you know, coming <laughs> right in on, you know, to become assistant on staff, you know, no, no, no Bible college, no nothing, just, uh, you know, just what I knew of the Lord and what I was learning of the Lord at that time. Um, wow. I led worship for another year and then I traveled, I actually traveled for a year as a music evangelist uh, before. Wow. Yeah. I moved down to uh, Springfield, Virginia, uh, got involved okay. with the church there. Um, I taught at the private school. I taught music. I led worship. Now, now explain explain exactly what is a music evangelist and what <laughs> what what year is this, Lynn? Oh my gosh, this was 1985, Curtis. Okay, I mean this is you know this is the coming of age for Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know Leon Patillo. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I would just travel from. Church to church. Back then, I didn't have a synth. I had a uh, Fender Rhodes electric piano. Oh and that, man! And, and that, that that today is worth a pretty penny, man. It, it is, and it weighed a ton. Oh uh, uh, no! <laughs> and I loved that the piano actually weighed more than the sound system. <laughs> oh my gosh! And, and so, but I just learned how to you know present songs, uh, how to fill in with with testimony in between songs. And uh, just really, it was just a wonderful experience just traveling up and down uh, pretty much New York, Pennsylvania, and Ohio a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I just learned so much and you know, learned that you know, every church, no matter what, they're hungry for God's presence. They're, they're hungry for an experience with God. And wow. uh, you know, God just kind of used me in a, in a lot of uh, wonderful ways uh, back then. Well, what, what's, can you kind of recall a particular experience where it was like, man, this is like something I'm going to be talking about for years, <laughs> because I imagine you saw some things back yeah. then on the road. I went to uh, a church to minister. And of course, back then they didn't put you in a hotel. They either sent you uh, to a family or they sent you to the parsonage to hang out with the pastor. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the, uh, one of the homes I was sent to, uh, they 
you know, it was a wonderful couple. They had about six kids. They were all wow. sit, seated around the table and we were eating lunch. And I looked up and I noticed that there was this plaque on the wall and it said, uh, the best thing for a father to do for his children is to love their mother. Mm. And I looked at this guy. He was like the most joyful, happiest person in the world. And he was treating his wife like she was just the queen of heaven. Wow. And and it just translated to all the kids just being really, really well behaved and mm-hmm. just really respectful. I mean, they could have been putting on a show for me, <laughs> you know, but but I just it was genuine. You could tell. And, wow. um, and and just little things like that I picked up along the way. It just helped me to become, you know, hopefully a better husband and father, you know, as a result. Mm. So, yeah, just so you, little so, things so like you're, that. you're traveling on the road as a music evangelist, and then you go to, was it Springfield, Virginia, where you took kind of a, a staff role at a church there? Yeah, I started out by teaching at the private school there, and uh, I taught a third and fourth grade combination. Oh, my goodness. You okay. Know? I didn't that's have a, a... That's an easy that's an easy age range to teach, right? <laughs> yeah, in combination. I mean, there's a vast difference between third graders and fourth graders, but anyway, oh um, you know, you you cut your teeth. I really didn't have an educational background, which was the weirdest thing. So, uh, it was really really tough uh, because I didn't really know how to discipline kids. I didn't know uh, exactly how to teach, but mm. uh, they were patient with me and, you know, uh, I I learned Along the way, I had about 28 kids in a, in a class, you know. Oh, my gosh. And But then what it, the cool thing about that was that I introduced a music program into the, into the school. And um, we would take the kids like once or twice a week, and I'd bring them down, down into the sanctuary, and I taught them. I taught them praise and worship courses to begin with, mm. and then, and then it evolved into okay, let's do let's do a Christmas musical and a spring musical, and um, it was just really, really rich. Um, mm. Just some of those I must have put on probably with the ten years I was there, I was probably I probably put on about twenty musicals altogether. Oh wow! And wow. so just a lot of rich experience and and teaching kids how to worship. I mean, back then it was all on the overhead. You know, and uh-huh. you know, kids, kids fighting to, to, uh, to be the one to change the transparencies and different oh my things gosh. like that. It's really funny. But, well, let me uh, ask you this, because I, I have two kids. They're eight and ten years old, and you know, I, I've got a kids album I put out a few years ago called Story Songs from Scripture. We've got a cool. large. Uh, kids uh, ministry here at Destination Church. What What is like that piece of advice you could give any worship leader that is listening that, I mean, maybe their role is to lead worship for kids or, you know, they're stepping into that or they're just trying to lead their family better in worship. What is, what's the, like the top nugget that you've got for just like leading kids in worship and helping them understand what it means to worship God? Well, I would say, uh, first of all, you know, when you, when you're, um, with them initially, you got to keep things moving, obviously, because mm-hmm. you know their attention spans are are pretty short. But don't underestimate a kid's ability to capture a moment. Um, let mm. them let them really uh, understand what it is to to wait on God and encourage them to be quiet so that they can hear God's voice. I'll never forget Curtis. I was actually teaching a first grade class. They moved me they moved me from third and fourth grade to first grade. Um wow. and and we just took we 
we just took an afternoon. I remember it was spiritual emphasis week for the entire school. And so we started out, you know, we were singing some songs. We were just worshiping the Lord, worshiping away. And then I just, I just realized that the Holy Spirit had something special for those kids at that moment. And I'll never forget, um, we just stopped singing and I just encouraged the kids, let's just take a moment and just uh, wait for Jesus to speak to us, you know, because mm. he, he will speak to your hearts if you're quiet enough to let him. And I'll never forget, wow. you know, these kids actually, you know, several of them got down on their knees with their hands up in the air and mm. just going for it. And now get this, there was a first grade kid, um, his name, never forget, his name was Larry. And I really believe he had a prophetic anointing on him because he came, he just got up and actually had a word for the class. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all deep theologically, of course, but he just, he just kind of let it, let it fly. And he just really encouraged the class to, to get closer to God and to, mm. and to be a worshiper, you know, in his own little way as a seven-year-old. And wow. so I would just encourage uh, any anybody who's in that scenario, uh, don't under, underestimate a kid's ability to just stop and and wait for the Lord to speak. You know, just like Samuel, you know, oh, speak, yeah? speak yeah. Lord, for your servant is listening. And um, man, you know, kids can do that. Kids can do that. That's so good. You know, one of the things that we say all the time to our kids is, "Hey, there's no junior Jesus. There's no miniature <laughs> Holy Spirit. It's just right. It's it's it's." it's Jesus is just as much for you as he is for me. And mm -hmm. I think that's so profound, man. And, and how did that, you know, kind of probably some groundwork laying to work with worship teams later on in your life? Because, I mean, let's be honest, whether you're talking to first graders or 21 year olds, like to wait on the Lord is a is a, is a powerful way to experience God's presence. And it can be just as hard for somebody in their twenties as oh, it yeah. could be for a nine-year-old. I mean, it what, really is. What, what, what did you take from that season into the many seasons that you would have later on leading worship? Well, I would just encourage, you know, groups or congregations, whatever scene I was in to just take that moment. I think, I think it's talked about in, um, in that book called uh, Clear the Stage. Yeah. And I forget the guy's last name. His first name is Scott. Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson. That's right. He always talks about the moment. And, wow. you know, I think it's to our advantage as much as possible to create moments, even if they seem minuscule uh, in the context of a Sunday morning, uh, mm. to just to just let let the music, let the people breathe. I think you even bring it up in your book, uh, Worshipology, Curtis, where you talk about the uh, Selah moments. Yeah. Where, yeah. where, and and corporately, we need to learn how to do that because yep. God has some really profound, some significant things to say to us as a church. I mean, we are His bride, so He's mm. speaking to us as husband to bride, and. You know, we need to teach our people how to listen corporately and how to be silent before the Lord. You know, I'm not talking about these dark, you know, dank, uh, you know, we got to sit there for five minutes and not move a muscle. But <laughs> it just know, gets awkward at one point. It you know? <laughs> does. It, it gets really awkward. And some people just aren't used to that. But, you know, just as in conversations, man, you got to let the other person talk and, and then mm. listen and then you know, it's time for you to talk. Uh, you'll have something more substantial to say. 
you know, so. one of the things that Scott talks about, I think it's in that book, um, and we'll put a we'll put a link to that in our show notes. Clear the stage by Scott Wilson. But I think one of the things he talks about is remembering those church services when he was younger, and the word Terry T A R R Y. Oh yeah, where where you would just tarry in his presence, and I know Len, you've been in those services, those environments where you just that was part of your DNA was it was built in. You just tarried in the Lord. You would wait on his presence. I mean, talk about that for a little bit because I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as worship has gotten more and more, dare I say, commercialized and industrialized, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've gotten away from these moments of just, hey, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't look, you know, 100% like a well-oiled machine. Sometimes we just need to get messy and wait on the Lord. Like, what is that something that we're missing in our modern day context of church, Len? I would have to say definitely. Uh, mm. I grew up... Uh, I was born in 1962, so you're you're talking to a 60 year old here. Um, I, uh, as Curtis, there were times where, especially on like a Sunday night, you'd have you'd have the worship time, the vocal worship time. You'd have the testimonies, you'd have the message, and then my goodness, the pastor wouldn't get done preaching until about 8:30, and you, then you would spend at least say 8:30 to many times 10 or past 10, just mm. just going for it around the altar, just kneeling there and just crying out to God. Of course, the piano and organ is blaring, but you had these, these wonderful seasoned saints going around, laying their hands on you and just pouring their hearts out to God, just sobbing over your soul. You know, wow. sobbing over your future. You know, just prophet, you know, prophesying over you through their prayers. And yeah. I, I will just never, ever forget that. Those are the wow. kinds of things that, like you say, it's it's a solid part of our DNA. And uh, I think our kids really need to see that, and they they need to see the previous generations. You know, literally. Uh, weeping over them, you know, weeping mm. over their futures, and and just wanting to see God do greater things than than the adults are doing, yeah, and, and really meaning it, not just not just uh, putting on a show, but just really you know, just crying out to God, just emptying themselves over the next generation. Um, it was a beautiful thing, uh, you know. That's a lot of what has established me, you know, as a person now, as a worshiper wow. now. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about multi-generational worship, because that's something that I wrote about in my book. That's something I'm fascinated with. And it's something I always am just like in awe of when you see a 90 year old next to a nine year old worshiping God <laughs> yeah. and the value that that brings in teaching one generation. I think it's what Psalm, I want to say Psalm 103 uh, verse 18, I could be off. It could be Psalm 102 or 104, but it talks about write this down for a future generation that's yet to be created that they might praise him. There's yes. something about generations side by side praising God together. What have you seen in that context? And what is something that we can be doing to steward that better in our churches, Lynn? One of the theme verses, you know, one of my theme verses as a worship pastor is you know, it's it's along the same lines, and it says one generation will proclaim your works to another, and um, mm. I, it might even be the same verse. I'm not sure in a different translation. But what we try to do, and it and it isn't just musically uh, oriented, but you know we try to create worship sets that include obviously 
the you know the songs of today, but we always try to try to do something that's tried and true and you know just mm. like you know something borrowed blue <laughs> you know when you're getting ready for a wedding um yeah. uh maybe just a little uh background here i used to do some djing in college okay. and what they would do is you, you know they they had a particular formula that you went to you know the first it, the first song would be a current, you know, something that's hot, something that's on the top 40 or climbing up the charts, whatever. And then you would do a recurrent, something that just came off the charts, but is still kind of fresh in people's minds. And then you would go to a classic, you know, something back, back then that was the 80s. So, you know, the, Be <laughs> the Beatles or Elvis would have been classics, you know, yeah. back then. But then you go right back to the to the current. And you kind of followed this, um, I don't want to say formula, but it was kind of just a, a skeletal mm -hmm. uh, when you're choosing your songs for your, you know, for your show. And um, I kind of took a little bit of that mindset into worship leading where you hmm. want to, you want to sing a new song to the Lord, you know, you don't, you know, I can just see God up there just saying, um, will somebody sing me a new song? <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of tired of this stuff. You know, so you sing the new song. You sing. You you followed up with something that maybe maybe was maybe the hot thing a year or two ago, but it's still fresh in people's minds. Then you go to perhaps an old, you know, an old um, maybe Maranatha song or Vineyard or Integrity mm -hmm, song or an mm -hmm. old hymn, and you kind of freshen it up. You know, for for today's audience, but it's still basically the same message and mm. the same, uh, you know, the same integrity to the song. You just you're just bringing it up to date, and then you, and then you bring in a, like a new song. I love tying an old hymn with a new song that has essentially mm. the same theme or the thread running through it. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a great way to tie the generations together, and I'm sure you do that, um, but. But it's so important to see to, for kids to see their parents, you know, lifting their hands and, and yeah. just going for it, uh, because that's you know what they see is what they're going to become, and wow. and and it's also cool to see like the grandparents, the the, the grand seasoned citizens. I don't like to call them seniors, <laughs> the seasoned citizens. I mean, for them to worship to today's music, man, just nothing lights wow. me up more than to see them get excited about. Uh, you know, elevation or or Bethel or um, you know just some of the the newer stuff that's out today. Just to see them and to have them come up and say, you know, what's that new song? Man, yep, I yep. I really enjoy that. That's really speaking to my heart. Um, wow. Yeah, and, and just as excited, uh, excitable as for me to see a kid saying, man. Man, you sang a Keith Green song. That was really, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that's it's, it's so cool because you don't think always that, like, man, you know, for some people, this style, this song is a real stretch. But yes. then on the same token, it's like, well, you know, I think when we, you know, I, I read this somewhere, Len, it was like, you know, worship is about laying down personal preference and, and picking up what the room can grab a hold of, you know? And, and, and this idea of like, and even for worship leaders that are like, man, you know, all the songs that we pick on Sunday, those are just my personal playlist. Like, I love these songs. I love I these songs. I think I it gets you into this mode of like, 
almost forced humility when you're like, look, we're doing a song today, not necessarily my favorite, but I know that mm-hmm. it speaks to so-and-so who's, you know, in their sixties and there's just this amazing generational spirit that like comes into the room when you're singing songs that have been sung for more than, you know, on the top 40 on the radio. But <laughs> right. I think, I think that's another thing too, for, for the young worship leader that's listening. I mean, there is a lineage, there is a heritage of worship songs that, mm-hmm. I mean, even this weekend, Len, we're closing out. I'm actually preaching at my church here and we're going to close out. Uh, I share a little story about it, but we're closing out with heart of worship. Oh, and sure. believe, believe it or not, that song is 22 years old. I know. I and, know. and so, you know, the songs that, um, and, and we can go back and listen to the vineyard stuff. We can go back to the Keith green. You can go back even further than that. Of course, mm-hmm. you've got hundreds of years of hymns from the Wesley's all the way back to, you know, be thou my vision, which was, I think from an eighth century Irish text. I mean, yes. come on, there's like so many songs. And I think when we get fixated on what's the latest and greatest, sometimes mm-hmm. we miss out on like, you know what? There are songs that have been in the top 100 on CCLI for 30 years. Like, don't be, don't be afraid to go back. Sure. Revamp it, put a new, you know, electric line to it or bring it up with a synth track or whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. But like, man, I think we do a disservice when we just turn a blind eye to all of that incredible heritage of worship music. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, this past Sunday we, uh, we included, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. And oh, uh, of course that's best. been, it's been remade uh, lately by Chris Tomlin and Stephanie Grassinger. But, um, but I just had a got an email from a gentleman. He's probably my age or a little bit older. And he just said, oh, my goodness, thank you for singing that song. That just brought me back to when I first mm. came to know the Lord. And that was that was wow. a song that God used to really arrest my heart back then. And um, you just never wow. know. You just got to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit might lead you to do and, and just not afraid to venture out a little bit. You, you have a faithfulness to your story. Um you know, you've been doing this for a little while. We've been, you know, kind of referencing the eighties. So, I mean, clearly you're a guy who's been in ministry <laughs> yeah. for, for a long, long time. You've got such a solid track record, man. What, what are some words of wisdom that you can share in the line of faithfulness? Because I mean, you know, we live in a day and age where it just seems like every other week, you know, there's a story coming out and, and I just, I, I always want to highlight the fact that, man, there are so many faithful people in ministry and um, I just want to learn from guys like you, Len. What, what's a piece of advice that you could give to a worship leader uh, that's maybe not as seasoned? And how can we stay uh, on the right pathway and uh, continue to lead faithfully? Well, sure. Um, several things, but a bunch of things, really. But um, I think the the first thing that I would say is, and this this I learned from my home pastor, you know, the, the one that called me out when I was a teenager. <laughs> and he mm. said, he said, when I was assisting him, he said, just remember, next to the Holy Spirit, the lead pastor is the worship leader of the church. He's mm. the one that drives the vision. He's the one that, uh, you know, he's he's the one that you're tr- trusting to hear from God. And your job as the worship pastor is to is to help him execute his vision for worship in the church. Wow. And um, and and along with that, just always have always have your lead pastors back. You know, you always hear stories of how a lead pastor and the worship leader have issues, you know, here and there. Um, mm. Don't let others speak evil of him. You know, just always defend him. Always always direct them. If they got a beef about the pastor, 
you know, t- direct them right to the pastor. You know, don't sit there and entertain, you know, entertain a bunch of gossip. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, my that first pastor I had, he put it pretty bluntly. <laughs> he said, Lenny, the only person you need to listen to next to Jesus is me. <laughs> And, oh uh, man, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds kind of arrogant, but you know, I knew exactly what he meant. He was responsible, you know, for stewarding the vision that God gave him for the church, and mm-hmm. and quite frankly, it gave me a lot less to stress over. And then, you know, after I'd watch him, I'd see what he went through with some church members. You know, he definitely had my respect, and 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 this is what I would tell any worship leader, Curtis. I would say you have to be number one at being number two. Oh, that's good. Um, uh, I learned a long time ago too. Uh, don't quit on a bad day. Uh, you're going to have plenty of them, <laughs> mm. you know. So don't quit. You know, you know. Once you just feel the the you know the go and get tough. You know, stick around. You know, don't look at any situation as merely a stepping stone to a better one. Um, you know, God. That's good. God has you there for a purpose, and don't ask God. You know. Okay, do I have to do do this for a year? Do I have to do this for 18 months, two years? You know, don't always confuse boredom or restlessness with God's voice. Um, wow. You know, enduring change, you know, it doesn't always happen by staying a year or two at a place. You know, I'll tell you right now, I lead a community choir here. It's called the Winchester Community Choir. It has about 100 or more singers from nearly 30 area churches. Wow. And Curtis, I wouldn't have been able to pull that off without establishing some street cred. And, yeah. you know, you got to stick around if you're going to make a difference. If God's really, com- uh, if he's really called you to a community, you got to mm-hmm. be there, man. You got to stick around and you got, you know, you got to establish a level of trust that people, even from other churches around the community, that, you know, they actually believe you. And when we started that choir, um, you know, I had already been in the community for about 10, 15 years, so people knew I wasn't there to sheep steal. You know, <laughs> I, I was I was there to really, really create one voice in the community that declares Jesus and displays Jesus. Wow. And so you just gotta stick around and and not be afraid to stick around, you know, not not worry about, oh man, what's uh, you know, what's what's the next rung up the ladder? Um mm. and, and and granted, you know, sometimes you know, people are, are meant to stay a year or two. I'm not dismissing that, you know, stay four or five years. I'm not dismissing that. Just for me, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm maybe just made out of a little bit different uh, clay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Well, I, I, I think there's something so valuable about longevity because, you know, I think I'm a big baseball guy. And so, you know, you see some of your favorite players and they move on and, I mean, it seems nowadays like players in the major leagues, they, they trade teams every two years. They're just chasing the contract wherever it sends them, sure. wherever they get paid more. And then, you know, translating that to, you know, maybe church culture and ministry life. I mean, yeah, I've just, I know several worship leaders that they've been in 10 churches over the last 10 years, you know? Yeah. And, and I think there is something to, you know, trust doesn't come overnight and, I think God can build something really valuable and special when we just commit to where he's placed us and say, you know what, God, this may not be, you know, the the coolest town or the coolest church or the coolest this and that and the other, but this is where you've placed me. And I know you have me here for a reason. And so God, would you help me to fall in love with this church, with this community, with this pastor, with, you know, the people here. And man, I mean, 
there is something beautiful. I mean, even going back to the baseball analogy, I just remember when when Chipper Jones retired. Mm-hmm. Now, Chipper Jones had been with the Atlanta Braves for 20 years. Right. I mean, he has restaurants in Atlanta. He can't mm-hmm. go anywhere on the streets without people calling out his name. Right. He had built a trust and a love in that city because he stayed there his entire career. Correct. And, you know, I'm just like, man, how cool would it be if the Lord called us to a place to just set roots there and really mm-hmm. establish ourselves? And, and you know, I think sometimes we just get restless and we want change and, you know, there's, there's never going to be a ministry assignment that's easy. So mm-hmm. I think hearing you say that sometimes you just need to stay the course and, and, and stick it out. I think that could be huge for somebody that's maybe in a hard spot right now. And they're like, uh-huh. you know, I'm, I'm just out of here. Peace. But it's like, no, Hey, don't what my dad would always tell me, Len, he would say, don't jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Into the fire. That's right. That's it, man. So, <laughs> well, dude, this has been an incredible conversation. I kind of wish we just had 30 minutes of you sharing, uh, little nuggets, but man, like one of the things I love asking uh, guests on the podcast is just about spirit led worship. And it's come uh, up as a theme throughout our conversation today, but Mm -hmm. man, just what, what does spirit led worship look like for you? What does it mean to you? And, and how can we be uh, better spirit led worship leaders, uh, capital C church? Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, spirit-led worship isn't just getting up there and saying, spirit, lead me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it really needs, it It takes planning, it takes preparation. Um, it's all really about prayer and seeking God's face first and foremost. Uh, I think you have to have mm. a plan, but you have to have a plan at least to deviate from. <laughs> you know, you got to have a, you got to have a skeleton before you have a body. And so you got to, you got to really take some time to just, take, uh, you know, spend some time in God's presence. You know, pray, pray, pray. God, give me a vision. You know, that's going to correlate. It's going to align with my pastor's vision for you know, what he's going to be speaking on. Mm. Um, I would just say, just practical things, Curtis. Stay in the Psalms. Uh, you know, yeah. read a Psalm every single day. Carve out time for personal worship. You know, we can't take people where we haven't been ourselves, as it's mm-hmm. often said. Uh, you know, take take time to go deeper than usual. Let the tears flow. I mean, get to the point where you're just saying, oh, God, you know, I love the song, Lord, I Need You. I start every day practically by listening to that song by Matt Marr. Because wow. that one song, that one line, uh, without you, I fall apart. Mm. There's nothing truer in the world, Curtis, than knowing that you're nothing without God. And and that you're nothing, you know, without his anointing and touch. And at the same time, knowing that with him, you can do all things. Um, mm. I would just say, go for the broken and contrite heart. Um, the authority in your leadership will be in direct proportion to your humility before the Lord. Um, wow. Can you repeat that? <laughs> yeah, sure. The, the authority in your leadership will be in direct proportion to your humility before the Lord. Wow. Yeah, go for the broken and contrite heart. Um, always, you, you know, the thing that I would just also say is just lead people, don't drive them. Uh, don't get upset if people aren't responding to your liking sometimes. Because yeah. yeah. sometimes it's just going to be flat, and that's just the way it's going to be. But but God works in hearts in different ways each Sunday. You know, we just can't plug and play, you know, and expect a certain formula to always work like a charm. Um you know, you were saying it earlier, you got to be sensitive to the atmosphere. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you help you read the room. 
so that you can flow with whatever he gives you at that moment. Or just if you just need to repeat a verse or a bridge, you know, you're ready to do that because, you know, some people need that second and third touch. You think of that. Think of the time that Jesus touched the blind man, remember? Mm, and the mm. first time the man said, I see men as trees walking. You know, even, even Jesus had to touch somebody more than once wow. you know, for them to really get the clear picture. And so um, I would just say, yeah, just stay humble. You know, the, the, the key to spirit-led worship is literally being led by the spirit. And the best way you can do that is just spend copious amounts of time uh, going after God and mm. you know, sitting down to the piano, the guitar, and not even try to write something, but just, you know, just play some chords and, and just sing, f- sing from your heart to the spirit. And, and then some, you know, as you know, as you know, some of the, your best songs are going to come out of just singing to the Lord and in, in at the start. Len, this has been refreshing for me. I know it's going to be good for everybody listening on the other end. Man, thanks for your time today, dude. You're the best. Thank you so much, man, for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.